So the ushers are going to come down with Bibles. Uh, if you would like a Bible, today would be a good day to grab one. Um, I'm going to flip through pages a little bit, and so uh, if you want to join me in that, that would be awesome. Uh, they will eventually come down with Bibles, which is okay, because you can raise your hand if you don't have one, and they will grab one for you. Um, so as you might have noticed if you're sitting in the first three rows and not staring at the back of someone else's head, that there is a big tub of water up here. In the first two, uh, in the first service, we did two baptisms, um, which is awesome, yes. Um, and we have decided that this tub of water must remain through this next service, and here's why. Because sometimes... Uh, and I'm guilty of this. So I, I became a believer, and then like two years later, I got baptized because I didn't necessarily understand what it meant, and I didn't understand that it was an act of obedience. It was one of those first steps. Um, and so if you're in here, and um, man, like maybe this week you decided that, that you want to follow Jesus, or if, you know, in the last 10 years or whatever it's been, but you haven't been baptized, um, this is definitely an act of obedience toward God. And it's something that each believer is to do. It symbolizes something way bigger than us. It is that we die to our old life, that old powerless except to sin life, and we rise again to a new life in Christ lived through us. And that's amazing and incredibly powerful um, because of the symbol that it is. And so if you're someone in here who's been wrestling with that, if you believe in Christ and you know that you want to follow him the rest of your days, then, then an opportunity is still available to you at the end of the service today. Um, and you can totally leave here with wet clothes, as Bren likes to say. Uh, but, uh, but that's kind of the, the reason why this tub of water is up here. But we're not talking about baptism necessarily today, but everything kind of connects together. Am I wrong on that? So like any time that we talk about faith or anything, it all kind of connects together around one person. And that is God. That is what we are all about. And so right now, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into the scriptures, and we're going to see um, what it is that God wants to say to us and what it is that God wants to do through us today. Father, I trust you. Um, I know that I am weak, and I know that my faith is small, and I know that you are so much bigger than I even can give you credit for with my lips, with my life or any other aspect of myself. God, will you please today, will you move in your people to do something beyond what we've ever seen before, beyond what maybe we can expect? And will you use this group of people, myself included, to do something really, really amazing? God, I pray for fruit real, honest, good deeds, things that are done in faith, that you might be glorified in us as a community of people. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Matthew 21, verses 18 to 22. Um, again, if you don't have a Bible, uh, I believe we still are passing those out, or we can pass them out, so you can raise your hand. Uh, I'm doing this thing old school, so I'm flipping pages. So if you're on your, your phone, yeah, that's right. To the people who are still into paper, um, we are still holding out, keeping those other people in business, right? Giving them jobs and such. Um, 
but I am going to be flipping around, so you may get there faster than me. Hopefully, that's cool with you. Don't be offended. You can read ahead. It's allowed in class. Um, so uh, we're in Matthew 21, 18 to 22. Um, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So I look at a passage like this, and my first thought when Brent gave me this passage was, how in the heck does this fig tree and prayer fit together? Like, I just don't get it at first. And here's why. Jesus is in the last week of his life, okay? He, he enters, he's got the big Hosanna thing going on with all these palm tree fronds and stuff like that and riding on donkeys and whatnot. And he comes into the city and people are like worshiping him and it's amazing. But when Jesus goes into the city that first day, he leaves, okay? And it says he goes and he's staying in Bethany. And Bethany is just kind of outside the city. So it's like really close to the city. You can see the city, but it's not right there. So Jesus gets up the next morning, and this is what happens. Now, it wasn't time for figs to have fruit anyway. So why in the world is Jesus so pissed at a tree not giving him some fruit? And I kept thinking to myself, like, I, okay, I, I get it. Like, he's, he's showing power, okay? If this story is about power and power alone... I can, I can get behind that. But there's some pieces of this story that just don't make sense if that's the case. Here's why. Jesus is thinking about Jerusalem. And in Mark 11, it shows us that this passage, this section, 18 and 19, happen over two days. Okay, the first day, he's hungry. He walks up to this fig tree. It will be the only fig tree with leaves on it. Because there are no other fig trees sprouting leaves or fruit at this time. It is too early for that. And the interesting thing about fig trees is this. They sprout fruit before leaves. Okay? So this fig tree, Jesus, I don't know, Jesus, Jesus isn't expecting probably necessarily to find a meal on the roadside from figs when it's this early in the season. But he is hungry. And so he sees this fig tree off in the distance, and it's got the promise of life. It's got the promise of sustenance, right? It, its leaves are proclaiming there's life here. But when Jesus gets up there, there's nothing of real value to, to anyone else. All there is is leaves. There's no payoff. There's all promise. And so I believe if you look at the story, the first day when this story happens and Jesus is hungry, he walks up and he curses the fig tree. He then goes into the temple that day. And he will overturn the tables in the temple. And then he goes home. And the next day, his disciples with him through this whole thing, 
He walks by the tree again, and the disciples go, wow, that fig tree that made you so mad yesterday, Jesus, it's gone. Something that I, I didn't even talk about last service, but I want us to understand something. Can you imagine what it would be like if your best friends in the whole world never understood you? Like, could you imagine the humanity of that? Jesus walked with 12 people, 12 friends of his, close companions, and the whole time he's teaching them things and telling them things, and they're going, ah, oh, I don't get it. Now, something that is interesting about the disciples is this. All through the book of Matthew, in fact, five times Jesus says this phrase about the disciples, you've little faith. The disciples, just like everybody else in their culture at the time, are so caught up in this Messiah being this militaristic, coming in, conquering, doing this stuff, that they don't even see. Jesus is showing them power, so they're like, power. I'll follow that. Like, I get it. Miracles, let's do it. I'm in. I'll follow somebody. Look, I'll follow somebody around who does some miracles like that. You know what I'm saying? But you don't necessarily know why or what or how or what they're doing. And Jesus consistently explains to them something. And this is huge. The disciples, being of little faith, Jesus is constantly telling them, if you ask in my name, with faith, if you have faith, you can do amazing things. If you believe, you will do greater things than I do, is what he tells them. Now the disciples are going, okay, I want to believe. I mean, how many of us have been there? Honestly, don't raise your hand because that, you know. But like, how many of you have been there at that point where you're just like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to believe so strongly. I mean, it would, it would sure make my life a whole lot less hypocritical. I don't know about you, but when Jesus says things like, if you pray with faith, it will be done, I, I don't feel power. Inside of me is like, oh, well, I guess I just don't have much faith. So what is Jesus really teaching this group of people, these 12 people that are with him, his disciples? It's this. Jesus is totally doing away with an old, corrupt system that was self-serving and took advantage of people in the temple, the religious leaders. And you see this all over the place. So in Matthew 15, specifically, here's similar language to Jesus saying what he says here about the fig tree in talking about the Pharisees. We're going to start in verse 7. And I'll wait for all my homies who are still turning pages. Uh, for those of you who are in college still, homies is an old slang term that we used to use back in the day. <laughs> started in the 80s. Anyway, okay. It says this in Matthew 15, verse 7 is where it starts. Now listen to the language and see the similarity in the language and the fig tree and understand something. This is really interesting to me and in what Jesus is doing. You hypocrites. 
It's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as, the doc- as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called people to him, and he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? As if, as if Jesus maybe didn't. The disciples didn't totally understand because the disciples don't necessarily see themselves as totally separate from the Pharisees, okay? In the, in the sense that Jesus wants them to see themselves. They're still linked to this system, this previous way of thinking that Jesus is trying to pull them out of. He answered, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. The Pharisees and the scribes had an appearance of godliness. They looked like good religious people. In fact, exceptional religious people. By all ideas, in every way, they should have been the people who actually followed God. But Jesus, son of God, walks into what is supposed to be his capital city, Jerusalem, the capital of God worship in the world. And do you know what he finds? Not life, not fruit, not anything good for anyone else. He finds this group of people who are only drawing for themselves. And he looks at his disciples, and this is the turn. This is the point of what he's saying. He looks at his disciples, and he says to them, this system is not based on real faith. This system is based on human intellect and creativity to exploit other people around them. But what I'm going to do in you, 12 disciples, what I'm going to do in you, my 12 is I'm going to build something amazing and powerful. Not because you are intellectually stimulating people with eloquence and grace. No, you don't get it. But I'm going to use you because you depend on me. I'm going to use you, 12 disciples, because you will be the people who actually look to God for power. It's mind-blowing to think the disciples will be, will be the people who worship God because they think he's big and because they see that he is more powerful than them. The disciples are going to be this new foundation for a community of God that is based on dependence I know we talk about it a lot. We are totally and completely dependent on the power of God to do anything good through us. 
Without the power of God in our life, we are all promise, no payoff. We are all leaves, no fruit. We are the type of people who walk around, maybe see, it looks like we've got an appearance of life, but the truth is inside we feel like a cavern. And that is not what Jesus was doing. See, we in this room are the fruit of their faith. They believed that God, the 12 disciples, believed that God would use them to do amazing things. And so he says to them, again, not great people, okay? The disciples were extraordinarily normal. And he says to them in Matthew 21, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do this amazing thing like seeing a, trig, a fig tree wither, but you will throw mountains into the sea. That's madness. Okay, but rabbis back in the day would talk about mountains and being thrown into the sea as if it was some insurmountable thing in life. Okay? Now, sometimes... I feel like we, we come and we hear something and, and really it just becomes like the person up front is giving you something and you're receiving it and then you're going to go home and it's going to be applied to your own personal life. And that's good. Okay, most of the time that's a really healthy. But I believe that this passage specifically in calling the disciples to believe and depend on God to do amazing things. And I've, I've been in church, okay? I've heard people stand up here and try to convince us why we should believe God so much. Okay? I've heard it all, okay? In that, in that sense, I've heard it all. It's like somebody up front is like trying to say, come on! Seriously, come on! Right? But I believe the same way the disciples looked at Jesus. And when they, he said to them, in Luke 17, he said to them, you have such small faith. And disciples looked at Jesus and they go, fine, then give us faith. Please, I, like, I, I'm going to need that. I get it. You, everything that you're going to do through me, everything you're going to do with me when I believe in you is going to come because of faith but I don't got it. And the faith that I'm talking about here is not the belief that God exists. It's not the faith I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the belief that the stuff that went down with Jesus on the cross really happened, okay? You can believe that as historical fact. You can believe that Jesus or God exists specifically in heaven. You can believe those things and still not actually have faith in God. Because the truth is, is that God has not only told us that those things are real himself and the, and the cross and redemption, but he has empowered us for life. Right now, God wants to use a group of people, us, here 
now. He wants to do something awesome through us here now. And he's not waiting necessarily for you to just simply pray. But I will tell you this, he might be waiting for us as a group of people to rise up in unity and actually depend on him to do the things that feel insurmountable. In my life, I lack faith. I lack faith that God will do the things that feel insurmountable to me. But I know that that's not because of God. And I know in this room, there is desire to see God do amazing things in your life, to see God do things that you can't explain. And I'm not just talking about individual miracles. I'm talking about family members. I'm talking about coworkers coming to the Lord. I'm talking about whole groups of people all of a sudden waking up to the truth of who God is. I'm talking about the things that are practical in our day-to-day. And I feel ashamed that I've shared my faith maybe twice in the last year. And the crazy thing about that is that that's because oftentimes I'm not really praying that God would use me to do that. I'm not really praying that God would would bring more of his kingdom in this place in Boise, Idaho at 11 whatever in the in the morning. But the truth is we should. And we can. The rest of our time here together today, I want us to break off in little groups of people, which can be really awkward. I get that. That's fine. You may not like the people around you. You may not know the people around you. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know from history. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories of how amazing things have been done in the last 200 years that God has done. And I know... I think in this room, there's like a, uh, I think we're, we're kind of all over the false misconception that our country was purely a Christian nation when it was born, right? Did you know that right after the revolution happened, there was a huge crisis of faith in our country, okay? It was massive. I mean, it wasn't like there was this amazingly solid church in the Americas. In fact, one government official to another wrote a letter And in that letter, he says to this other government official, man, if the church is so weak here, I think that it will be gone in 30 years. That's not 1996. That's 1776 that's written. In fact, in a population of 5 million people in the United States alone, they estimated that there were 300,000 alcoholics. Now, I'm not talking about just people who are addicted and managing their addiction. I'm talking about people who they consider drunkards and wild. There was rampant addiction, rampant godlessness. There was was nothing in the air of, of this power within the church. There was no God rising up, giving fruit to his people. That's not what it looked like to them. They were a defeated group of people. 
who were constantly hiding from what they believed. There was shame and doubt. And a Scottish preacher saw this, and he wrote a letter to a friend of his who lived in New England. And in that letter, he said, to, this letter was written to a man named Jonathan Edwards, who if, you, if you've read church history, you understand what that name means to us. And in that letter, he says to them, he says to Jonathan Edwards, look, your people, they must become unified in prayer and dependence on God. They must become unified in dependence on God and really pray. Pray in faith that God will move. Otherwise, you will live as defeated people. Another story. In the very early 1900s, there was a farmer-ish farmer, man who owned a businessman who owned a farm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he had a group of businessmen who would get together and they would pray. Okay? They'd pray for God to do different things. And one of the times at one of these prayer meetings, they pray that God would raise up an evangelist from Charlotte, North Carolina to take the gospel into the country. Well, maybe a quarter mile away in a barn, young Billy Graham is throwing hay and doing his chores wanting so badly to be a professional baseball player. Not even anywhere close to being a believer. But his dad and this group of people are praying. God, will you raise up somebody here? God, will you do something here? God, will you move in us to do something that goes beyond what makes sense to our little brains? I don't know about you, but I would welcome real power from God working through us to do something that we can't quite explain in our city. And so I believe that God wants us, and, and, and specifically today, I believe that, that in, the, in this time that God is looking at us and saying, will you believe in faith in me? Will you move past your reservations and fears and pray with other people who do believe that God is big enough to do anything? The smallest little faith and mind. Do, do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that? And I struggle to believe that too. But we must unify around this. God is bigger than us. We are a part of a movement that is led by him. This is not on our power. And we need to remember that. But that God wants to pour out crazy amounts of power. And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. Okay? Because I think that in this room, I think we can figure that out. So I'm going to pray for us and then, and then move around. Pray with one another. Get into groups of people and pray big prayers. 
pray things that you feel like, man, I don't even know if this could happen. I don't even know if this is possible. Pray things that you want to see God do. Whether that's in your life, your family. Gosh, I remember 2006, I got a call from my, from my mom, and she had just found my, da- my grandpa. And my grandpa had passed away, and she's like, tell me he's in heaven. Tell me he's in heaven. I'm at Bible college. And I remember like, mom, grandpa, to the day he died, denied. I can't tell you he's in heaven. And I got off the phone and I remember, I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm bawling. I just don't even know what to do. And I'm like, Lord, you got to put grace in my family. You got to do something here. There's such a brokenness and a sickness and I don't even know how to start I don't even, I, I can't even be the one to tell them the truth. And as I stand here today, my mom, my grandma has been baptized. My uncle has been baptized. I don't even know what's going on. I didn't say a word. My mom called me one day out of the blue and asked me, hey, I'm looking at this passage of scripture and I don't agree with it. Can you tell me? And I'm like, why, why are you looking at that passage of scripture? Look, you guys, there is a power that is beyond us. He is for us. He's with us. And we believe that not because we have this mustering up of great faith, but because he is big. Pray in faith with one another after I pray. God, will you please, will you please move in us this morning? I pray that, that whatever these prayers are that you have, for each one of us to send up to you today, that for the next 10 minutes we would give you (laughs) the things that we want to see you do, that we would dream big again. God, we are not defeated because you are strong. Lord, will you please empower us? And will you send us out with grace, humility, love to see you do amazing things through us? Will you give us faith? Lord, I pray for the person who doesn't know what to pray. I pray they would just pray for more faith. Thank you, Lord, for today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.